0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Delic. I'm Mike Brancatelli. You're you. Today's guest is my good pal Jason Grichanek. Jason has been on the podcast now. This will be his third time. He's been on the podcast before. So if you're interested in listening to more from Jason, go check out our other episodes together. I think our first one we did was in 2018. Then maybe another one in 2020. Uh, and then I was also on his show as well. I think last year. So check that out. Jason is the host of the Universe Within podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast It's diving deep into plants, plant medicine, consciousness, holistic health, wellness, and a myriad of uh, other related topics. And it's really a unique podcast because I don't know any other podcast out there uh, that's doing what Jason is doing, which is giving voice to the doctors, the shamans, the guides, the facilitators. Visionaries anthropologists linguists researchers uh and wisdom keepers that are working on the ground floor um I said that weird. Like, uh working on the ground floor uh and, and and you know just in in their practices day in and day out so he talks to i believe his most recent podcast was with, with his uh a tobacco teacher tobacco ernesto uh he's had um a lot of other great people on. I think he had Jeremy Narby on as well, author of The Cosmic Serpent. So yeah, really unique podcast, really diving deep into the day in and day out, uh, ground level, ground floor, if you will, um, shamans, healers, uh, medicine people uh, that uh, you just don't get anywhere else. And he offers translation on the podcast. So they talk in their native tongue and then it's translated so that we can understand. I don't know any other podcast that's doing that, uh, You know, giving a voice to these, to these amazing uh, humans who are uh, doing fantastic work. And you could find that all, the universe within podcast. Jason is also uh, a tobacco arrow himself. He has worked at the Ayahuasca Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light since 2012. He's also trained as a tobacco. Arrow. Uh, working with the Master Plant Tobacco, facilitating diets. And uh, that's where we begin in this conversation as he was uh, in the middle of one in the Sacred Valley of Peru. All right. Uh, a little bit of business. Huge love to everybody that leaves ratings and reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. I actually went back and read some uh, reviews just to you know make myself feel better about myself or more realistically, offer myself a, a reminder. I think oftentimes, uh, sometimes I get hard on myself, forget. So it is really nice to see people writing the the things that they're writing about the show. I really enjoy that. Uh, you don't have to write anything about the show. If you like the show, the best way to help is just leave a five star rating. And you could do that on Spotify. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, if you like the show, just leave us some feedback. And it's very helpful too. And I really appreciate people that reach out to me uh, through email and let me know about some things that they are wanting to see or interested in, or maybe some things that they've noticed that I haven't seen. It's just me here doing everything. So it's actually really, really helpful when I get a message from somebody, or even better, when it's multiple people saying, hey, Mike, just want to let you know your intros are running a little bit long. And we we'd love it if you could cut them down. Great feedback, I love that. Try not to leave that in in a in a review of the show because I'm I'm responsive to the feedback no matter where it comes. But that's that's permanent, and um, yeah, it, it just it's it's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get people to leave ratings and reviews is because it boosts us up in the algorithm and will rank. And when people are looking for things that we're talking about on this show, they'll find the show. They'll find this show. And and that's what I would like to have happen. So if you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating, a review. Very, very helpful and much appreciated. And if you have any uh, questions, concerns, or feedback, shoot me an email. I will respond. MikeAdelicPod at gmail.com. I will be fully receptive to that. Uh, Someone actually recently shot me an email letting me know that a lot of my episodes I have in the little preview description on Apple Podcasts, it just says, leave a rating and review there. And I put that there at the top because of the way that it was appearing on my website. But I didn't realize that it was doing a disservice to the show because it wasn't telling anybody what this episode was about. Uh, So I went ahead and fixed that because of this person. So thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Like I said, sometimes there's things that I just can't see because I'm in it and I need an outsider's uh, view. So thank you. I really appreciate all of you. And if you uh, are a Patreon member, I really appreciate you. This podcast was actually released, I think, a week and a half ago. There's a video version and an audio version that was released on Patreon. I also have another Patreon episode that's out right now that I recorded with musician Savage, who is just a brilliant, fascinating dude who makes amazing music. And we had a great conversation, the video and audio, ad-free video and audio, I should say, commercial-free, intro-free, raw, unedited. It's all on Patreon. So if you'd like to just jump right into a conversation, go to Patreon. For $5 a month, you support the show you help manifest my dreams, and you help uh, get yourself raw, unedited, ad-free podcasts. Great. Speaking of ad-free, we got to do an ad because we got wonderful sponsors who support the show, and uh, we, we, we love them. We really appreciate them. The sponsor is WaveBlock. WaveBlock is a technology that helps block radiation that's emitted by cell phones, and AirPods. And I love their philosophy because they've figured out a way to make this modern technology work for us with these really cool stickers that go onto the phones and onto uh, the AirPods. And it's great. Uh, it's tested by FCC laboratories. They um, they work really, really well. They uh, cover the phone, uh, they cover the AirPods, and they just help Reduce dramatically reduce those uh, potentially harmful uh, radiation waves that are coming out. Now, I don't know for sure what the deal is here, of course, uh, but it seems like to me that, uh, you know, we live in a world where there's just constantly like waves and radiation and frequencies just going everywhere. And I remember Rudolf Steiner saying something about this like, the more that we Put this electrical world online. The less we're able to tap into our innate human abilities, uh, maybe like extrasensory abilities or things like that. I think there's something to this. Frank Herbert wrote about this in Dune, actually, too. You know, the more the technology advanced, the less when technology went away, people were able to develop uh, powers, so to speak. So I don't know. Just a cool little piece of um, I don't know what I, what what that is, but something. But anyway, this is uh, it. Significantly reduces radiation, and it's it's so affordable. And when you put in the code Micadelic, you get twenty percent off. So give it a shot. You know, I went on YouTube and I watched this EMF radiation detector going crazy when it was next to a phone. So I was like, all right, I'm convinced. Um, But yeah, I love them. I think it works well. I I remember talking to I think it was Jessa Reed who said that more that she has her AirPods on, she like feels a little weird. I mean, there's there's definitely some kind of truth to that because with the wave block stuff on, I feel I feel fine. Uh, so I highly recommend getting it. Wave block is uh, is awesome. So go check them out. The links in the show notes, show description, and um, yeah, that's our only sponsor for right now. If you guys have any ideas for sponsors of anyone we should get, so you can get discounted item, uh, discounted uh, you know rates on things that you like, let me know. I'll I'll reach out to some people too. But really, I mean, it's, I'm just looking for a, a triple win here where I get some free product and you guys get a discount and it's all stuff that we like. So, you know, that um, seems to be a good deal for me. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it. Please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a dog, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a bird about this podcast. Without further ado, we'll hop into this conversation with my good friend, Jason Grecciani.
1: Where are you? I'm back in the Sacred Valley. So I'm actually running a dieta right now. And uh, yeah, it was, where was I? I was back at the temple for two months in um, November, December. And then I was back in the States seeing my family for Christmas. And then uh, and then yeah, back here. And uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Peru is still Peru's still going at it hardcore with the whole rules and regulations and all that. It's It's pretty crazy. Yeah. How are you navigating that? Uh proves getting pretty strict. I mean, to, to go into any indoor place, you have to present proof of, of, if you're over 40 now, three vaccinations. Wow. And uh yeah, like even to, I had to go to the immigration office the other day to like do this like little form or something. And to go in, you have to show proof of three vaccinations. So I mean basically if you want to do anything here if you want to be legal if you want to participate in society you got to be triple vaxxed. Wow. Yeah. Wow, it's such a trip to
0: to see this going on. Yeah. Yeah, and especially especially in whatever community we want to call what we're a part of the plant medicine community, the conscious community, the psychedelic and theogenic community. Uh it's really interesting to me to see the that there isn't really a, a unity among people in our uh among our crew or you know, kind, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, that some some people seem to uh really buy into the the dominant narrative, which is just so interesting to me. Uh because I, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, well. You know, a lot of people here in the States uh, have been fighting for uh, psychedelic rights right. uh, to change laws for decriminalization
1: and stuff. Cognitive liberty.
0: <laughs> Cog, co- yeah, cognitive liberty, the war on drugs, right? The war on drugs. So aren't we in another like stage of the war on drugs where they're basically saying, if you want to participate, you have to take this one drug, that th- that's, that's kind of what was coming to mind. And, um, yeah, I was, I was wondering, like, what, what are your thoughts on, on all this from sort of a consciousness, cognitive
1: liberty and like medicine, uh, approach? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's very interesting. I, I remember, uh, a lady came down to the temple where, where we were working together and, she was giving out these stickers, and on the sticker it had, I think, iboga, ayahuasca, maybe peyote, wachuma, something like that, and it said cognitive liberty. And the, the whole idea was that with with so many of these plants, there's been this, this, this prosecution, persecution, because people haven't had the freedom over their own autonomy, of their own state of consciousness, their own state of mind, and I think this was an organization in in Oakland which has very much been in the forefront of, of a lot of that stuff. Um, and like you were saying, it's such a fascinating dichotomy because also a place like Oakland or San Francisco, California is at the forefront of <laughs> mandatory vaccination, forcing people to take a certain drug, um, not allowing people to have bodily autonomy. and. I mean, it's a huge subject. I I mean, I I think we could talk about it from so many different angles. But for me, it it was surprising on the one hand how many people, as you said, however you want to call this, the the psychedelic community, the plant medicine community, the spiritual community, but how many people really went along with it, hook, line, and sinker. And so on the one hand, it was surprising because – I think so many people – I think it's so easy for people – this is why I think principle is so important, is when you don't have principle, you're very easily swayed in the winds. So if you really believe in liberty, then you have to follow that all the way through. You can't just say cognitive liberty because that suits your own agenda. The idea is liberty. Now, certainly you can focus on cognitive liberty. If that's being impeded or impended, you can say, hey, this is really important. Like The idea is liberty, and if we don't have cognitive liberty, then we don't have liberty. And it, But I think so many people, it, it, it's so easy to compartmentalize things. And, and so we say, yes, I believe in cognitive liberty because I've been being persecuted. I, I haven't been able to be free in that way. But when something else comes along, we jump on the back on the bandwagon and we don't stand on the principle of liberty. And uh, but I think it wasn't super surprising to me because it, it's a mentality I've seen a lot in in the plant medicine world and it's a huge I think it's a huge part of plant medicine, which is really going inside and finding that personal power, which I think a lot of people, also have a bit of an an aversion to and I think we can see that a lot in society where we like to blame other people, we like to blame systems, we like to blame other countries and a huge part of plant work I think is reclaiming that, that personal autonomy, that personal power and and that's very difficult, and I think very few people are really willing to do that because seemingly it's much easier to not do that, to to always have someone else be at fault. And it's a super common archety- archetype that we see with with plant medicine. Is so many people come down, you know, I'm unhappy, I'm suffering because of my father, because of my mother, because of my partner, because of society, because I wasn't given X, Y, and Z, or because this and this happened to me, and and. One of the major archetypes of plant medicine work is is beginning to know thyself, to to really see into that and see that it's a story. and And sometimes that can be very triggering to people because it's not that things didn't happen to us. It, you, I mean, I, I worked with people who, I mean, if I were to tell their stories, people would be in shock of what people have been through. I mean, you know, uh, abuse uh, of just almost like demonic proportions. And yet, that doesn't mean that that person can't not be happy. It doesn't mean that that person can't be free. They can. But it's a huge internal journey to be able to do that. And so, with the pandemic... I think it's very hard, again, when people don't stand on principle to be able to apply those same things widely. There was a, there was a beautiful samurai, his name was uh, Musashi, and he, he said something like, when you understand the way, you see it broadly, you see it in all things. But if you don't understand the way, then you can't see it in in, in all things, and everything begins to become com- compartmentalized. I, I support this, but I don't support this. I believe in this, and I don't believe in this. But there's not a there's not a through line. And if you have principle, even when really difficult situations arise, you can stand on the principle. If I truly believe in liberty, then I have to believe in that for everyone. If I believe in free speech, I have to believe that for everybody. And it's often – I remember a lot in plant work. For me, the the thing that I saw that was the biggest hindrance to, to people was fear. And And I think for me, fear is kind of the primordial emotion – that leads to all of our suffering. And I think even an archetypal way, it's it's a classic tale that's told in, in indigenous cultures and in traditions all around the world is this primordial split from from the Garden of Eden, from God into duality. The the, the snake which often represents wisdom, it, it's tempting us with the knowledge of the 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 fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's this idea that the from grace we split into two into man and woman good and bad right and wrong and that's what that's literally what makes the world made manifest is duality but from duality becomes separation there's a me and there's everything else there there's there, there's there's me that observes everything in the universe and that's that's a literally what it what the world made manifest means is duality there's two But from that, there's this primordial fear, which is what happens if there's no me. And I think when people really begin to go deeply into plant medicine, that begins to come up is what does it mean when me begins to fall away, truly fall away? Like everything that I think is real, that's me my name my body my my form my 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 consciousness uh, this earth the, the universe what is up and down and left and right and when all that begins to fall away i don't care who you are you're going to go into a state of primordial fear because everything that we think is is real is beginning to become disintegrated and from that fear, you know, I would say, like all of the what we would call negative emotions arise—things like anger and lust and jealousy and covetousness and uh, all all of the things that cause us to, to, to suffer, negative belief systems. But it's all coming from that primordial primordial place of fear. And and so with the pandemic, I really was able to see because a lot of people often also say like they don't have fear or they've overcome their fear but i don't think that's true and and plant medicine really shows that uh it will take you to places that are very very challenging and 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 it will take you to to a place that's going to push your 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 limits if you're willing to go there and and really with the pandemic i think what we saw was this primordial fear you know people were afraid because there was something that was unknown this unknown virus that that potentially could kill us and kill our loved ones and 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 from that fear it's it's very easy to again lose principle and even a lot of people who say they believe in liberty or cognitive liberty once that fear comes in that i'm going to die or my family's going to die I'm willing to set aside that principle and go along with someone or something, some system that promises to protect me, that promises to keep me safe. And a lot of people judge that, that pact, that, that pact that they make to be more valuable. But the, the fascinating thing is that nothing we do, no pact that we make that goes against the fundamental principle Will truly make us safe or happy or whole. It's only going to cause our, our eventual demise. And in Shipibo, and the tradition we we both know quite well, it's there's something very beautiful. And it, it really it really hit me when I learned that their word for good, which is hakun, on a deeper sense, it means truth. So, that which is true is that which is good. Something that's good means it's true. And on a deeper level, it means that which is life-giving. So, it's the creative energy. That which supports life, that which gives life, ultimately is true. Therefore, it's good. That which divides, that which is is going against life, is untrue. Therefore, it's not good. And that's where principle comes in because principle is truth. Mm -hmm. Like, if freedom is a birthright, it's something that we're striving for, then it's then it's true. And there's nothing that can come along that, that waivers that. And if it is, it means it's untrue. If it's going against that fundamental truth, then ultimately it means it's not true, which means it's bad. It means it's not life giving. It's divisive. You know, and <laughs> I think the pandemic is a perfect example of what's divisive. I mean, Parents locking their kids in a room, you know, keeping them masked. Uh, some lady kept her kid in a trunk because he, he he had the he had the virus. Uh, friends who won't see each other, family members who won't see each other. I mean, that's the that's the ultimate quality of divisiveness. It's dividing us. And anything that has that divisive quality is is coming from a place of untruth. It's not life giving. It's 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 continuing the 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 separation, which in in plant work is called the mariacion, the the dizziness. Like we're all under this dizziness. It's almost like this spell. Even in plant medicine work, this idea of like brujeria comes in. We're we're under this spell, this witchcraft, this belief system, which is literally controlling our minds. And in North America. In some of the indigenous traditions, they call it wetiko. It's the spell of the mind that keeps us in separation. And it feeds, you know, it feeds off of power and fear and anger and lust and control. And that's what feeds it. And the antidote to that is is truth, is is freedom. But it's very difficult. And and even a lot of people who've done this plant work, while, while they may have gone to a certain degree, I think, as can be seen, there, there, there's still a lot. There's still a lot missing, and so, you know, th- these plants also aren't aren't. They're not an inherent uh, remedy, or they're not an inherent panacea. And, and and I think a big part of that is because you can't remove the person. And I think a lot of us were under this illusion that kind of this pharmacological point of view. Whereas if I take this pill or I take this medicine, it's going to make me whole and I don't need to do anything else. I don't necessarily need to be a good person. I don't need to have principle. I don't need to follow my heart. I don't need to stand up for what's right. This thing is just going to make me whole. And it doesn't like, you can't remove the person. You can't remove the volition. And uh, and, and that has been something that's that, that's also surprising to me in a way is even doing this podcast, like the, the the number of people who I've talked to who would be having these same conversations once the once the camera is turned on or once the microphone comes on, a completely different mask comes down. Mm. And I think a lot of that is that same fear. You know, I, I don't want people – I don't want to isolate people. I don't want people to not work with me. I don't want to be called uh, – a bad person, uh, anti this and anti this, but even that it's coming from that same place of fear. And, yeah. you know, it, it takes, it takes someone who's really willing to have courage to, to, that that's the archetypal, um, the archetype of, of Jesus is, is, Believing in truth so much, being so righteous that, that I'm willing to die for humanity's sins. I'm willing to take that on. I'm willing to bear the cross. And, you know, everybody loves Jesus. <laughs> but how many people are really wearing, willing to bear that cross? Very few. And right. and it's not a knock on people. It's it, it's much, seemingly, it's much easier to not do that. Like we, it's easier in life. It's easier to and we're talking about even something like the vaccine, like, well, I'll just get the vaccine. It'll make life easier. I can go to the grocery store. I can, I can do this. I can do this. It, it's much harder to not do that. And so, but, but again, it comes back to principle. Do I truly believe in this? And if the answer is no, then, then we go along with the winds and then we, 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 we do what we need to do. But, but if we truly believe in truth and in liberty, then then at some point we have to take a stand and i think that's another thing is we often we want other people to take a stand for us right and and if you look yeah. back through history at, at any at any movement that was revolutionary or or stood on truth or principle it started in the hands of very few people and you know, they were prosecuted, they were persecuted, but, but eventually if the momentum became enough, more and more people felt that, that they kind of also had the right or th- that those people gave them strength to also be able to stand up. And eventually it, it becomes it becomes almost easy to then take that position because it's the majority position. Um, uh, I think it is Arthur Schopenhimer has this beautiful quote which is uh, all truth passes through three stages. In the beginning, uh, it's laughed at, it's mocked. Uh, the second stage is it's violently opposed. And in the third stage, is it, it's accepted as if it was always true. Mm. And I think that's really mm, powerful. Yeah. Like if people really, really look deeply into that, so many things follow that that pattern. First, they're laughed at, like, who is this person? You know, the the Earth is round. Who who are these idiots who believe the Earth? <laughs> we know better. You know, we're the authorities. We we know what's true. You know, what what idiots? Like let's let's laugh at them and mock them. Uh, but then, as the evidence starts to come in, more and more and more. Then you have to violently oppose them. You have to demonize them. You have to call them racist, anti-establishment, transphobic. Uh, you know, anti-this religion, anti-this, anti-God. Because you have to demonize them. That—that's the way you, you fight: is you you other the the the, the other person. You other them. You, you make them less yeah. than. And to right. the point yeah, where maybe you even kill them. them. Yeah, you dehumanize yeah. them. And then eventually truth does win out because it always wins out because it is true and then uh, 10 20 100 years down the line nobody remembers any of that it's just oh yeah that's true we always knew that was true that was never controversial of course of course the earth is round or of course the sun emits light or you know (laughs) right and and we just we don't think about it yeah yeah
0: oh man yeah you're right i mean there is so much there there's um there's a lot that i want to kind of jump on here but one of the things that's that's come to my mind is this what you said pretty early on when you started talking about the aversion that you've noticed from people to really go there to really go deeply into the fear which requires uh, a, a real, like Christ-like surrendering, you know, not in like a religious institutional context, but the man himself, like you said, bearing the cross, right? Because it's a, a representative of saying, I, I am a free, sovereign, independent human being. There is nothing you can do to me because I stand in these principles. Anything that you're doing to me, you're, doing, you're just doing to yourself. You're making it worse, right? So, there's a sort of really deep understanding, I think, that you have to go into there, and come around to, to some some way, to fully surrender, fully, fully surrender. And I'm not quite sure if if most people, as you were mentioning, really know how to do that. So, I'm, I'm really interested to know a little bit more about how how is it possible that people can do deep plant medicine work, uh and get into you know deep practices of altered states and and go within, but still have that control to compartmentalize, to not fully allow themselves to, to dismantle their their identities and to fully surrender into the fear. Because that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like that the the egoic mind is still setting up borders and boundaries and compartments and rooms even as people are diving deep, which I find to be very fascinating, because you were saying that, you know, we, we think that like, hey, we're going to drink this brew, we're going to take this medicine, it's going to crack us open, it's going to open us up, it's going to change us. However, we can't get rid of the person we're still there. So there's still a human navigating and controlling the, the aspect of that experience, if they if they don't have the ability to totally surrender to the experience. Is is that, is that something there? Like, is that yeah? what you see?
1: <clears throat> I think, I think often it, it, it really helps, especially with this kind of work, because it can be so ephemeral, ethereal to use other examples, it, like this morning, but before, before we started this interview, I was doing jujitsu and, and, uh, I was, I was rolling with this girl and she, she was she was saying like she was having panic attacks. Like if she got in a really bad position, she would have a panic attack. And I was like, yeah, that's super normal. Like if you're in a really uncomfortable position, that's normal. That's like a a natural body response. And so how do you overcome that? Well, maybe you stay there for two seconds. Like you push yourself two seconds more and then you tap out. And then the next time it comes, you stay there for five seconds And there's still going to be that same desire after one second, you're going to want to tap out, but if you can stay 2 you've just doubled that time. And then the next time you stay five seconds and the next time you stay 10 seconds and then 20 seconds. And then maybe you find like that panic attack, that energy begins to dissipate. And then uh, like days, weeks, months down the line, you find you're able to escape that position and then you get a dominant position. And then the other person is in that, you know, panic attack mode and uh, so like you were saying with these plant medicines they can also only take us as deep as we're ready to go in that jujitsu analogy if i was to like mount her and stay there for one minute like she could be in real real damage like she would start freaking out and i've been in that position you know I, i know it very well it's not she's not worse than me it's i've been there that's the only reason i i I kind of have some idea of of navigating that space so these plants aren't in general they're not going to take us to a place that's trying to do us harm but hopefully they're going to take us to a place that begins to push our limits at the same time, as we were saying, you, you can't remove the person. So, do I really want to go there? And the answer for a lot of people is no. It's just a very clear no. And, and that's okay. Like, for a lot of people, they don't want to do jiu-jitsu. That's okay. But if I if I truly have that deep down desire in myself to know myself, to, to answer these questions about what does it mean to be human – what does it mean to be whole what does it mean to heal what is it what does it mean to to truly understand this human existence you're going to get pushed and and that's where that courage comes along is am i willing to go back in there am i willing to go back in am i willing to be in a place that's uncomfortable and uh, that's a personal question that everyone has to answer, and and sometimes it's a very slow process that can definitely happen. Sometimes there can be these these kind of revelational experiences where just, it just it does take us to some place and it just shatters everything. But even then, uh, there's kind of this concept that I'm sure you've talked about this idea of, of integration. Once I have this experience, once I see something that may be true or, or, or a deeper wisdom, am I able to integrate that? And that's a huge thing. And that's, again, like we were talking about principle. That's where principle comes in. Like, maybe I, I see that I'm creating my own suffering or I see that the person I was blaming for my suffering, I've also done similar things. And that that may sound like a simple thing, but that's a huge revelation like the person i'm judging i mean that's another very christian principle like it's easy to see uh, the speck in my brother's eye but not the log in my own like that's huge if people can really integrate that someone is free you you you're actually free that's your freedom but we understand that on an intellectual level. We're like, oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the really fascinating things about, I find about facilitating is, is sometimes you'll I'll say something like that, and the person's like, yeah yeah I know that.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, I hear that a lot too. Yeah.
1: And it's like, well, They're
0: like, oh yeah yeah no I I know I know. I know <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's like, yes, you know, on an intellectual level. But that's why in Greek they had two words for knowledge. There was to know something on an intellectual level and there was gnosis and that was to truly know something which means it's alive within us and it's a much different knowledge from knowing something from the place of the mind again that's the christian archetype of, of jesus with his heart on fire and that's gnosis it's the burning fire nothing can penetrate that it's an embodied knowledge so you know, from that place, if someone says, "You know, you're stupid because you're a white person," it doesn't phase. You're, you're stupid because you're a black person. It doesn't phase because there's a deeper wisdom that knows that that's not true. It's, it's divisive. So, it's it's easy to, to 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 know these things, but to truly embody them is is very difficult and for most people it's going to be a gradual falling away and so we begin to shed some of these layers we begin to shed more we begin to shed more and for a lot of people at some point they they may be okay that's good i'm good like that's all i want to do i'm at a place in my life and i'm happy maybe 10 years down the line things change maybe on their deathbeds things change you know i i would sense that we all have to answer these questions at some point in our life uh, for some of us it may be on our deathbed um, if we've ever been around yeah. someone who's dying you can often see that uh, some people die at peace it, it's, they've, they've answered these questions and some people there's a real struggle um, so yeah I guess to answer your question it's I think it goes back to that that idea that you can't separate the person and we're all ready for different things we all are looking for different things and, and I think that's where it's a little disingenuous when we say something like, you know, these plants are, are going to make you enlightened or something. They're not. They have that potentiality, but it's the same in anything. It's like jujitsu or playing the piano. Can the piano make beautiful music? A 100%. The piano can make music that's divine, but you have to play it. And, and that's not easy. And that takes a tremendous amount of dedication, of skill, of practice, and, and really more than anything, a deep desire. Like, I, I want to find the divine through this piano. And if someone really does, they will. But how many people really find that? Very few. I mean, there's very few people who, wh- when we listen to them play piano, we're, we're, we're moved in a way where time stops. And yet it can happen. But but it's a rare individual too who's willing to go there. So um yeah, does that kind of kind of answer it?
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it brings up uh this conversation that I was having the other day with some people as we were serving hape to each other, uh, and talking about our first experiences with uh rape or hape. Um, I remember my first uh What they were calling it, the people that I was speaking to was a shamanic dose, you know, because you have your little individual caripes and then you have, you know, um, I I believe when Amika came to uh, the temple, Uh, that was my first very large dose in sort of a ceremonial setting. And, you know, we were... It's a pretty entertaining story to tell now, just as I was looking at like, everybody ahead of me just getting absolutely blasted by, <laughs> you know, this like, foot long tepe and and like a palm full of, of uh, tobacco snuff, Rabbe. uh, and the wheezing and the coughing and the breathing and the puking and the crying and the laying down on the So there's this element of like pain almost that comes that comes with medicine not not necessarily with medication though and there's two differences there and i think that the the west america specifically is living in a, a medicated culture not necessarily a medicine culture we're a part of of more of that medicine culture but there's still this this pain that, that this temporary suffering or pain that comes along with it and it's. I almost get a sense of a lot of people that go and travel to do to have plant medicine experiences. It's almost like um, I don't know. It's almost like saying like, "Oh, I, I did that once and I survived," mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. But yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because you know, tying that mm-hmm. into the fear, how deep we're willing to go, and then you know, the the pain that comes along with, or the, the just pleasure that comes along with real medicine
1: yeah absolutely it, i think if you if there's a common theme and a lot of you use this word like shamanic dose and in a lot of these shamanic traditions it's it's this idea that the shamanic path is a path of suffering or also they use the word death like it's a path of dying and and maybe dying many times and it I think to some that that would seem kind of like sadomasochistic, like why would I want to suffer? But it's not that the path is inherently suffering, it's that it's taking us into our own suffering. It's very much this Buddhist point of view that to be a human entails suffering. But as the Buddha said, there's a way out of suffering. But the way out of suffering is almost inevitably we have to go into the suffering we have to realize where that suffering is coming from and like anything by going into it we begin to understand it we begin to develop that gnosis that experiential knowledge of, of what's happening and uh, and and yes, like you said, there, there's many people like with, with rapé where it's like, you know, this little, like, you know, and they, they, they feel a little buzz and, and, and that's useful. Like that has its benefit, but it's also different from, as you said, like having a shamanic dose where it's inducing something very profound and like, um, I was thinking when you were talking about that, uh, I, I had the same question when when I was doing a really long period of dieting, and and one of my main teachers, uh, Ernesto, I, I was drinking a lot of uh, tree barks mis- mixed with tobacco and. The smell and the taste was was so strong, and I would start feeling it in my body like two hours before he even came. I would just start to smell it. the smell would just start to permeate the air, and I would start to get nauseous, I would start to get like almost this like this nervous energy in me where I was like shaking and I was cold, and then I'd get really hot and And one day I asked him, I was like, you know, Ernesto, like, why, like, look, I I love you. I I appreciate what you're doing, but why does all of this medicine, like, taste and smell so bad? And he said, because it's preparing you. It's like, if you can overcome that, then when you're working in the shamanic realm, then. you you've overcome that, in, and you know even just that act of overcoming the smell, overcoming the taste. It's like a put away, but it's a test, and it's preparing you for when even greater things begin to come in the shamanic realm. That, that by doing that, you're preparing yourself. And I mean, it kind of sounded nice, but but then uh, when I really started thinking about it, there, there's also this because you're talking about like rape or tobacco near near where you were in the Amazon, there, there's a group of people called the Huitoto people uh, or the, the, the Borda people. And they're, they're related to the Huitoto and they work a lot with, with ambio, with tobacco paste, also with Coca uh, similar, like to how Amica is working a bit. Um, and they have a, they have a, um, uh, like a leyenda a a, a legend or a a, a tale and and they say and i could be getting this a little wrong um it's it's been a while but i think the the name of the creative energy is is bwinaima and they would say like bwinaima he dreamt the world into creation and it that's 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 very significant because often when we think about dreams or the shamanic world, we often look at it in terms of as if it's not real. Like it's not this reality. This reality is what's real. And any other reality, my dream space or an altered state of consciousness, it, it's other than real. It, it's a hallucination. It's, it's not real. But also any shamanic path would say that that space is, is also real it's also reality. And in a sense, it's even more real than this reality, because in this reality, we're bound. We're bound by time, we're bound by space, we're we're bound by certain laws. In that reality, there's infinite possibility. And I think that's to a large extent why these plants have such an ability to heal, is because they're not bound by some of these things that, that, that limit us. And in that space, there's true potentiality. And from the shamanic point of view, like this story that Winaima dreamt this reality into existence, there's this shamanic idea that actually reality, the universe, started in the dream space, in the altered state. And from that, it manifested into this reality. So, in a way, this reality is secondary. And also with the the Borden the Witoto, they say that one of the reasons we take tobacco is because tobacco allows us to dream, like Buinaima dreamt this universe into creation. So that's very profound, and it's saying this medicine, tobacco, has the ability to allow us to dream this earth into creation, to, to essentially. To have the same dream that God dreamt, to have that same creative process, that's what creation is. In Christianity, that's the creation myth. The creator created this into existence from what? It doesn't really say, but from that shamanic point of view, is from the dream. He dreamt, he created this world into existence. So these medicines like tobacco, like you were saying at Ape, if given in the proper dose and the proper set, the proper setting, also with the with the proper person, um, like I, I spent some time with the Matseis, and they they also work a lot with Arape. They call it Nuna. And they would say, you you only would receive the the the, rape, the Nuna, from someone uh, who has qualities that you want to take on. Because you're going to be taking on their qualities, <laughs> whether you want to or not. So, choose very wisely who you allow to to do that. And and in the same idea of ayahuasca, like who who is who is the healer? Who is the person singing their songs? Like, do they have gnosis? And in Shipibo, that's uni knowledge. Do they have that knowledge? Are they a true unaya, one who works with uni, one who works with the ayahuasca, one who has knowledge? Hopefully so, because you're going to be taking on part of them. Like there, there's a there's a dance, there's a co-creative aspect when, when they're working with you. So with these medicines like like tobacco, as you were saying, if given in the right way, it's taking us to that place where we're beginning to dream this this, this reality into existence. Our reality, we're beginning to understand how to make that manifest. And that's no joke <laughs> you know that's uh, again to a lot of people that sounds really good until you you also realize the responsibility that comes with that once you begin to realize the principles that one also has to follow uh it, it's you know if, if if we cheat or we lie or we steal and we know in a very deep way that that's that's against this life-giving force it's it's not true it's not good then we also begin to feel that much more and there's more consequences when we do that and that responsibility becomes greater because there's this lived thing inside of us and there's this felt sense that's ever more deep the more we begin to embody these things and it becomes more and more difficult to go against that and it's not to say we won't. We will. We will make mistakes. We will fall down. But also, they become more challenging. They become more difficult. And so, I think to kind of answer that, it's difficult because as we begin to clear these things away, in a way, the responsibilities, the the truth that we have to live by becomes more precise. It becomes more acute. And and that's a big responsibility to take on. And, and almost no one is ready to fully take on that responsibility, as you were saying, to be Christ. Almost nobody's ready to, the, to do that. But to whatever degree they are, it becomes more and more challenging. Because anything that's out of alignment of what that truth is, I now have to begin to to. Like in Spanish, they would say "car de guard." I have to, I have to begin to carry that, and and that's a that that begins to be. It's only a weight when we don't, but if we do carry it, it's what sets it's it's what sets us free. Mm, mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask that. I was like, what happens if you refuse that, right? Because I've heard, you know, the refusal of the call, the refusal of the responsibility, you know, creates a lot more suffering. Either way, there's going to be suffering, right? Like, you're you're gonna have challenges and suffering, but wouldn't you rather them to be sort of more of of an aligned, in tune suffering than a, uh, a dismantling, terrifying kind of Suffering uh, on the other on the other way,
1: yeah. Also, those challenges can get much more like the closer we get to to, to what we're actually looking for. I think that, in a way, the, the greater the challenges become. You know, it's like if we realize the, the test, yeah. Like if my test is I have to give up chocolate, okay, you mm-hmm. know. Maybe that sucks. Maybe I really like chocolate, but it doesn't have that life and death quality to it. If the test is I stand for freedom, that, that literally has a life and death quality. Like you can be killed for that. Just look throughout history. How many people have been killed for standing for something they believe in? We're not too far from that right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) for sure well well yeah and this goes into that fear because what is what does it really mean to be alive if you're not willing to really live for what matters what who cares about death if if yeah it's very interesting to me i mean i i like living i like my life i suppose if i was put in a position where i had to really fight for it like i Well, I'm not really quite sure what I would do, but I'd like to believe that that I would fight for what's right and 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 true. Um, Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing to sacrifice what you to sacrifice for you know something that seems just surface level and, and kind of shallow like to, con- to, sacrifice, to to continue going on right So w- the world that we're that we're living in, a lot of us agree that it's not that great. like people would like things to be better. However they' uh, in my opinion a lot of people are sort of you know taking the quick and easy treats <laughs> or the bait uh, to just say, okay, just this will be fine for now but it's never just fine for now. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I mean,
1: and that—that's that, that's the idea that of principle, I, right? Idea of principle. Is yeah, is—is is this right? If the answer is no, I have to be willing to stand in that. Like, is discrimination okay? And and that—that's a really legitimate question. Like, I think a lot of people their inherent response to that is no but i don't I don't know that a lot of people have really thought deeply on that, like is it okay to discriminate? I think you can make a very good case. The answer is yes. We all discriminate all sure. the time. Uh, stores discriminate, restaurants discriminate. Uh, you know you can't wear if it's a really nice restaurant, you can't wear shorts. they're discriminating. Is that okay? It's a difficult question. You, you know you can take that either way um. We, we discriminate based on age can you drink alcohol at five years old we say no why because we're discriminating we're saying no you, you we as a society say you need to be at least 18 or 21 whatever it is to, to be able to drink we're discriminating based on age um even in the pandemic that was a really common question in the beginning was if there was a shortage of ventilators uh who gets them? Well, you have to discriminate. You have to come up with some criteria that you're going to begin to discriminate on people with. But
0: People don't you know, like that word, though. They don't right? like the word. Discriminate. Right. They don't like that word.
1: Yeah. Right. But uh, I think, you know, w- because we don't like that word, because we also inherently realize that there is something wrong with that. Like, that, uh, on a fundamental level, there's something not good. Like, if we're discriminating in a way that it's coming from that place that's again going back to that Shipibo idea of truth is it divisive if we're discriminating and it's 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 an act of union or it's serving then it's good but if it's discriminatory and it's divisive it's hurting someone and i think and and that's what we usually think of when we think of that idea of discrimination there there's some pain that's generated we're hurting someone we're removing someone and so, I think most of us, that guttural reaction of, no, that's not good, is, is true. It's coming from a good place. Like, that's not right. But as we've seen, the pandemic is a great example. We're very willing to discriminate on people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Very, very willing to. And, and a lot of the people who are willing to discriminate, if you ask them if discrimination is okay, they would very, very quickly say no. Right. But again, it's because they're not really standing on a strong principle. Is right. this right? Right. And, and again, if the answer is no, then, then if you don't stand by that, the, the, in a shamanic sense, we would say we lose our internal power. We have no power left. Sure. Yeah. And even from a shamanic point of view, they would say like that's where brujaria is able to penetrate us. If we're in integrity... If we're standing on principle, to be in integrity means to be whole. So if we're whole, that there's no there's no area for you know brew witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, bad bad thoughts, bad energy, we're whole. But very few of us are truly whole. We all have our kind of Achilles heels. We all have our blind spots. We all have our beliefs. We all have these things. And that's where kind of going back to the other question, like it's very difficult to really stand in that principle, Mm -hmm. to be ridiculed, to be laughed at, to be from the Schopenheimer quote, to be violently opposed, standing on principle. It's much easier to let that go but as you were saying ultimately that is going to cause us a greater suffering but it just may not be as apparent in the short term
0: right right yeah this is what i'm getting at is like the 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 mortgaging or the sacrificing of the the, the depths of what life has to offer when we stand in integrity when we allow you know ourselves to surrender to true freedom within ourselves and then have that ripple outward because what it seems like is that what he, most of human civilization seems to have done is like say okay well you know we don't want this to to continue so we'll just do the th- we'll compromise we'll, we'll we'll make concessions but what but why is it like why is that worth it why why do you want to live in a world of concessions and consolation prizes that's the thing that i don't really fully get it's it's very hard for me to wrap my ha- hand around uh, my head around that but i mean i guess it comes all all back to f- to fear right i mean like when put with a test like this the pandemic has been a test right it's a it's a huge test like who who is who is willing to stand up in truth freedom liberty peace um acceptance for like right, right like hey accept me for my choices, my body as a sovereign being. And um, yeah, it seems like we're just most people are willing to just compromise and make concessions in order to keep going in the the less satisfying, less gratifying and less truthful
1: world. That's my perspective on it. Yeah. And, and I think to a degree, like we're all looking for safety and, and that's where all of these things, right. um, again, from this more like shamanic point of view, all things have a light in the dark to them. Like, I think that's true. That may not be true, but, but in that, in that world of like form, you know, even when we say like everything, like etymologically, it's, it's everything, which means every, anything, any physical thing, that's what makes up the universe. So everything in a way, has its 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 light and its dark, and I think on an even deeper level, it, it comes back more to to like the way in which something is used. So, like we were talking about tobacco or ayahuasca, a lot of people consider these as like dark things, like black magic. I mean, here in Peru, people were uh, persecuted; they were murdered for working with. Ayahuasca, tobacco—they were considered witches and and sorcerers, and they were killed. Can those plans be worked with in bad ways? Also, yes. Uh, I mean, probably everyone has heard a story now of someone who goes to a a shaman somewhere and they get sexually abused, or you know, that's also reality. But is that the ayahuasca, or is that the person, or the manner in which it's being used? And I and I think in that fundamental level, when you look at it in from more of this kind of again shamanic or spiritual way, everything in itself is neutral, but it in, inherently it's one. You know, everything is one. Everything is from God. So, but in the duality, everything has its light and its dark. It has its good and its bad. Ayahuasca can be used to heal. It can also be used to manipulate. People get in very, very open and vulnerable states when they drink ayahuasca. So, what's being fed to them? Are they being fed positive things, affirmations, you can do this, like, I got your back, you're going to get through this, like, you're good, or, oh my God, you're dying, we have to get the paramedics, or, hey, you know, you're really beautiful, like, hey, maybe we should – I really feel connected to you, and I think there's something – You know, it's, one is very vulnerable in that state. So, uh, with all of these things, uh, there's anything can be used for good and anything can be used for bad. And, uh, uh, the, I kind of lost my train of thought, but you were talking about the, um, yeah,
0: well, well, th- well. Let's let's talk about th- this for a second. So, what what you're saying is like, essentially, it, it's reminding me of of the discrimination uh, against like early on in the pandemic when people were talking about alternative options so this is this is one of the things that that has come to me so the point here is that we want these quick solutions and we're willing to sacrifice you know the the deeper truth Uh, right right? yeah um yeah so if you have something that's come back to you on that like please
1: please take it away um yeah yeah well also along those lines it's the kind of that idea of of sacrificing something short term for long-term gain. And again, that's really tricky because that's that's also like that's what investing is. Like I'm gonna sacrifice something on the short term for long-term gain. Like instead of going and blowing all my money, I'm gonna put it in the bank. And that's a sacrifice. And the idea is that in the long term I'll I'll come out better for that. And so I think that's what you know. A lot of people think like I think again that that mentality is coming from a good place. Well, we'll make a short term sacrifice, and it's going to have a long term positive gain. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where that's where again principle comes in. Like, what am I sacrificing, and am I sacrificing from my own volition, or am I being forced? to do something. Mm. Like that's a that for me is a really big key. Yeah. You know, even even in some of like our other podcasts kind of talking about like libertarianism, that's a that's a big fundamental key is it's voluntary. Right. Once you begin to use force or coercion, even if it's for the so-called greater good, and almost every mass atrocity in the history of the world has been in the name of a greater good. Right. Then you've gone away from that principle. You've gone away from the principle of life giving. Once you start to dominate someone, coerce them, use power to to, to force them to do something, well, there is no long term gain anymore. Because in the short term, you've you've gone against principle. You're you're doing something that's bad. So anything that's going to come from that, ultimately, is imbued with that same energy. Yeah. And so, but, but that's where it, it that's where it's tricky is like, we all want to be good people. We want to help out. We, and I think in, in a way the pandemic was, was a very beautiful manifestation of that. Like people were like, okay, two weeks to flatten the curve. I'm going to do my part. Let's do it. You know, even people who like live day by day, like even two weeks is difficult, man. Like that's, yeah. if you're making 30 soles a day. You know, like here in Peru when when you go to fill up at the gas station you put in 5 soles cuz that's all you have yeah you don't fill up the tank cuz you don't have 30 soles to fill up the tank you have 5 and then you go work and you get another 5 and you you know you fill it up or you get 6 and you keep one for food so to go two weeks you know that's a sacrifice but but I think that also in a way showed like the beauty of humanity that yeah we're we're willing to do this like for the greater good we're willing to do this um, yeah, definitely. But, you know, that, that's where these things get so nuanced, too, is and, – and I think, you know, when one begins to think about these things, I think especially, like, libertarianism does a really good job of, like, just making us think about things from a different angle. Sure. Um, like, there's a Johns Hopkins report that was recently published that that showed lockdowns had, like, an almost negligible – Positive net gain, something mm-hmm. like 0.2 percent or something, and and like what a lot of the the researchers pointed out is is something. For example, I mean, you see this in Peru. Like Peru had one, if not the the most strict lockdown in the world, but definitely one of the the, the more strict lockdowns, and also right. the highest death rate. Now, is that just correlation or is there direct causation there? Most likely, it was a direct causation. Why? Well, as most people know now, the virus doesn't transmit very well outside. It doesn't transmit in fresh air. It doesn't transmit in sunlight. Most Peruvian houses have no air air circulation, almost no natural sunlight. So all of a sudden you lock people down for two weeks in this enclosed environment, uh, and a lot of people end up getting sick. And also, like what the researchers were saying, which is just kind of human nature. Like if you tell people you can't go outside and go to a beach, well, they're still doing their part. They're staying inside, but they're still human. So, they're still going to congregate. They're still going to meet up. And so, now you have all these people meeting up in enclosed spaces, <laughs> Yeah, which ends up being worse. So, you know, worse, even with the right? good intentions – like what what is the what is the the real the real cost of that and and i think that's where the difference is between force and being like voluntary action you can tell people like hey this is what we think this is coming from the experts this is what we think Um, but this is what we recommend and ultimately you're a free human being And the choice has to be yours. And once it's not yours, well, then I think as someone pointed out, like, what is the difference between that and house arrest? Right. Yeah. Most of us would say house arrest is not good. Right. And yet right. somehow we said it is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, we're really, we're under the spell of this is brujeria. <laughs> this is the manipulation of, you know, um, you can, you can draw the comparison here between the so called, you know, powers that be who are making the decisions, the, the people that are feeding the engine that keeps the status quo incentive system going and uh, with the control and the power. Are like the manip- are manipulative shamans that are that are casting spells over people and saying, "No, this is this is the way it's going to be. Do this, don't do that." Very manipulative because people are in a trance, right? Yeah. Like we 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 were hit with a shock and awe event. People were got very fearful and basically said, "Yeah, tell us what to do. What do we do?" But there's that natural instinct of the human being. They're gonna congregate with people. Everybody. I don't know anybody that's followed the rules and the mandates and all that kind of stuff to a T I'm sure there's people out there that have, but I personally don't, there's people that make concessions. They're like, well, we got to get together with people. We got to, because that's that energy, like you were saying of life, of creation that wants to keep going. You can't keep that down. Right. And we're seeing that now with the the yeah. trucker rally in Canada, you know, all over the world, people are fed up and, Yeah,
1: I mean, Uh, what what do you think? And and that's a very good example because, like most most shamans who do bad things, most of them are not, I think, actively trying to. Mm. Like, I think most of them still, to some degree, have good intentions, Mm. but they haven't done the work deeply enough themselves to realize what all of the consequences of their actions are. Right, because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And I think that's exactly how, how you put it. Uh, you know, I remember thinking in the beginning of the pandemic, like, why are we only listening to epidemiologists? Like, for sure, they have a valid field. It's super important. Their voice is super important. But the world isn't epidemiological, it consists of economies and psychology and other diseases and. Uh, you know, human nature and just infinite different things. And if that's all you're focused on, you don't realize what all those unintended consequences are.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And as you said, when people are under that spell, they want to listen to one person who's going to be their savior, But, but then you lose all of the other things. And just like that shaman who's most likely trying to help but he's under his own spells. He's under his own spells of power. He hasn't done the work, so he gives someone a dose because he thinks this is the right dose, and the person ends up freaking out, and then they end up in a worse place than to begin with. And he's like, "But you know, but I was trying to do good." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he also he doesn't have that gnosis. He doesn't have that deeper understanding. And um, yeah,
0: yeah, and even in even like with some of the you know maybe. I don't know what I would would uh, just beliefs, I guess. Maybe some dogmatic beliefs, right? Like some, some ayahuascaros will say, you know, stay away from cannabis because it's a very, you know, seductive and controlling kind of plant. We don't want that energy. Some would say, hey, that's fine. You know, all plants are welcome here. You know, there's there's different views in different areas, which which reminds mm. me again, I can't help relating this back from like sort of the the micro. Uh, individual healer aspect or communal ceremonial aspect to the macro like big societal civilizational aspect, which is, you know, the, the discrimination and oppression and suppression of other options for healing, right? It's like, it's yeah. like the do- maybe dogmatic belief, maybe nefarious intentions, maybe driven by profit, probably most likely, but I'm thinking of uh, Dr uh, Emanuel, I think was Stella Emanuel, like early on in the pandemic was mm-hmm. working with a African born doctor. And so there's like a little bit of probably, uh, racism in there as well of just like, well, no, she's using these like voodoo techniques. And this is not, this isn't, this is like witchcraft. This isn't real medicine. We've got science we've got. So, uh, it, it, you know, and then with, with ivermectin, like, why not just let everybody just make why not, you know, if we lived in a, if we lived in a world, right? I mean, I know you and I are on the same page with this, but it's just for the listeners there, it's, it's just like a thought experiment. If we really lived in a world where people wanted to help us, wouldn't they say, Hey, we're in this pandemic. There's this virus. We don't know what it is. We're going to explore all options. Everything's on the table. Nothing is, we're going to explore everything and yeah, try it. See what works for you.
1: Well, that's right, and, and that's again where it comes back to principle. Like we we all talk about things like diversity and um, yeah
0: inclusion. But then when right. it comes to yeah. it, yeah
1: inclusion, we we don't believe mm-hmm. that. Then we want it one way, and it's my way or no way. And if you don't do it my way, I'm going to demonize you. I'm going to throw you in jail. You're excommunicated from society. So it, it's not diverse at all. It's the the opposite of diversity. It's singularity. It's and. It also goes back to this idea of shamanism or holistic medicine, health, even even Western medicine. Two people come into the doctor, the doctor does not give them the same medicine. Why? Because they're two different human beings. Yeah. <laughs> they have completely different problems. They have completely different life situations. They're a different age, different weight, different diets. So you, you, there's not a panacea remedy that you give to everyone that's going to cure everyone. It just doesn't exist. It, it's literally fun. Like... It's the most basic concept of medicine that you have to look at the person in a holistic manner. And and that goes for everything from families to societies to communities to countries, even in terms of countries, very different. Like how are the people living? What are they like? What is their health like? How much sunshine are they getting? What, is, what are their living situations like? Are they able to, you know, everyone in the beginning, it, and again kind of like you said there is this a bit like elitism or i don't want to say racism but but this this view that that like if i can do something everyone can do it if i can work from home for 2 weeks then everyone should be able to do that i'm making the sacrifice therefore everyone should yeah but most people don't like a lot of people in the world don't have a computer mm-hmm. a lot of people in the world can't work from home <laughs> right they can't order their groceries then disinfect them and you know so are you? Are you? Is your principle? You really want to help people? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then the, then there's something that's out of alignment. There, yeah, I
0: don't think so. <laughs> I, I think it's self-preservation, right? And rationalization, rationalization, self-preservation. Hey, I'm doing. I'm doing my part. You know, but really. I Yeah, I really question how many people really, truly care about other people and how many people really want to be seen as the noble, virtuous, moral ones, right? Because it's easier. Sure, it's it's easy sure. to be seen that way now online in the digital space go take a selfie uh, at a hospital. And when you're wearing a mask, uh, maybe you're dropping off some snacks or something for the workers. Or, hey, I'm doing my part like I'm contributing. But what are you really doing it for? you I don't know, I'm making this scenario up. But I'm just saying like, mm. that I think that by the nature of the medium that is of our time, uh, a lot of people are sort of maybe unconsciously pulled towards showcasing uh, virtue mm-hmm. and 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 stuff, and we've talked about this before, yeah. Um, but yeah, what what's something that's really sort of you know on the top of your mind around this this topic right now, or maybe at the top of your heart, like something that you're really feeling um, around the
1: the sort of global situation uh, right now. Well kind of going back to your last point I, I mean that's also a, a very big thing a plant work or you know, I, I don't necessarily like the word spirituality but for lack of a better word yeah we need is, new words you know yeah yeah <laughs> but like you were saying there there is something about being virtuous in that way and also where that becomes very difficult is part of that fear we were talking about is when I believe I'm virtuous, when I believe what I'm doing is right, then when someone comes along and does something else, it's not just that they're doing something else for them, it's that it's perceived as a direct attack on me. Because who I identify with is my virtuosity. It's it's my beliefs. And if someone comes along and has a different belief system – whether we realize it or not, it's it's taken as a direct attack on us, because right. all of a sudden it, it 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 calls into question is my belief system true, and it and if it gets threatened, often people will use like the idea of the ego with that. If the ego gets threatened by someone else having a different belief system, sometimes a radically different belief system, the ego's natural response is to fight, to destroy, to kill that other belief system, because now my ego is king again. There's no more threats. It's just me. And so there's something in that that act of being virtuous, which when something comes along and threatens that, it has to fight. It has to demonize. It it has to belittle the other, because that's the nature of the ego, is it, in order to survive, the ego has to be right. Mm. Yeah. And if it's not, then the fear begins to arise. Well, who am I? Well, what is real? Well, what is right? And it's much easier, again, to demonize the other person. If we take it to a, an extreme scale to kill the person, than to really go inside and begin to allow that ego to begin to fall away, because that's mm. really scary. That's really scary because it's kind of like opening up Pandora's box. Well, if I'm not right about this, then what else am I not right about? If I've been overlooking this, what else in my life have I been overlooking? And all of a sudden the pillars begin to fall away. And then we're left, you know, people say they want to be egoless, but almost nobody really does Mm. because it's terrifying. I don't even know what's up and down. I don't know what's left and right. And the antidote to that is, is—is it's kind of a dirty word now, but it's faith or trust. Like, if we can really trust in the universe, then, then also we're free. Mm. But that's very difficult to, to truly trust in life. Um, trust in
0: the universe within.
1: Right? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I imagine
0: you you yeah. titled your podcast that for a particular reason. I'm curious to know a little bit about that. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on on a common sort of topic uh, that gets gets tossed around,
1: which is this concept of ego death. Mm Mm-hmm yeah the the universe within it was actually an ode to uh to one of my first teachers he was a guy named dr david Job. uh really really fascinating human being but he had a little show called the universe with no it was the universe inside your mind so originally i wanted to call it that but i didn't want to steal his name so i thought well what's the essence of that also with plant work and so i came up with the universe within um but it's essentially that this 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 kind of thing that you hear in all sorts of traditions about this idea of of going within. That if we really want to change the world, we have to change ourselves. Like there's not a separation. I mean, again, that's a that's a very common spiritual idea that we kind of think we understand on an intellectual level, but. If we really begin to embody that, that means what's good for me is good for the universe. What's good for the universe is good for me, that there's not a separation. And that's a very radical way of thinking. Um,
0: Yeah, one would say that's a
1: a kind of a a communal way of thinking. Yeah, community. You know, even a really common example. Like if I'm eating apples that grow here, that's probably going to be good for me. Why? Because they're yeah. local. They're they're growing in the season. They're they're from here. There, there's no real cost. The, the cost is me taking five steps to the tree and and pulling it down. I eat it. I g- I give it back. Rather than me eating uh, um, or caviar that's imported from Russia. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah you know, that it's probably not going to be giving me on a nourishment level, what I need in this climate right here, right now. And there's a tremendous cost to that. There's a tremendous cost of, of, of bringing that to here. Right. So those things, they're not, they're not different. Like what's good for me is also good for the world. What's good for the world is also good for me. Um, so yeah, but anyway, the, that that's where the universe, uh, that's where the universe within came. W- w- the, what was your second part Let, of the question? Let's let's stick on this actually,
0: because the, the, what's what's coming to mind now is is the emphasis and the importance of
1: healing and ego with, death. Yeah,
0: yeah, but the the the, the, yeah. the yeah, we can get into that, but I I'm, I want to kind of like get, touch on a little bit of like how healing happens by really tapping into your local environment and with people that. You know, because I think there's this idea, yeah, and this even ties into ego death. Like, oh, I killed my ego, and you know, I, I did. I did ten grams of mushrooms in my room alone, and you know, but but there's there's an essence of community. Like we ha- like we have to be tapped into our environment and the people around us to some degree to really fully receive that. What you're saying, what's good for me is good for the environment, good for the community, good for the universe, right? So. Yeah, maybe there's something there in terms of like that. There is this, this, this deep, in, like we're, we're deciphering between individual, like individual going within and healing. Yes, a hundred percent. But that doesn't mean that you're
1: isolated from the world mm. and your environment, right? That's a super important point, and I think that's where that's where I see a lot of confusion. And it goes in terms of political, like, is the individual king or is the, the community king? You know, shouldn't we have socialism because we're, we're focusing on the greater good? And, and, and I think just as you said, I think for me, that's where the fundamental confusion comes in, is this idea that those are somehow separate, that by sacrificing myself the, the the greater good will be greater well it won't because i'm sacrificing myself it, it goes back to that idea of like using force once i go against nature once once i have to harm myself or uh, You know, not be happy and say, well, if I'm not happy, then the greater good is going to be happy. No, they're not. Because that's just one more unhappy person in the greater good. Mm I'm, I'm, I'm coming from that, that energy that that's, that's all I'm now relating to everyone around me. So what happens? Well, unhappiness spreads. Why? Because I'm unhappy. If I'm happy, then the, the greater good will be happy. If nothing else, even if I was a hermit in the middle of nowhere, well, that's one more happy person in the greater good. And yes, we don't, most of us don't live as hermits. So that happiness begins to spread and, and it has a tangible effect and it begins to spread and it actually begins to create the greater good. So mm. yeah, I think a lot of people look at like well, if you just let individuals run wild, then the world would just be burning and everything. Well, no, because then if the world was burning, we wouldn't be happy. Like, we'd be all suffering. So, it's it has to start within. E- even in, like, where you were at the temple, like, you know, as you remember, the, the way that someone learns from plants is to go into a dieta, Right. It's not a communal practice. You're in isolation and the only place you have to start from is you. That's it. And from that place one can begin to to come into wholeness, to come into integrity. You know, to heal means to be whole. So if someone is truly healed, if they're truly whole, then again That's the energy they're emitting. And every action is coming from a place of healing because they're whole. So every action they take is a healing action. And so how does that affect the collective? Well, it's healing to the collective. And then that affects someone else and they're operating from that energy of healing. So. In a way you could say, yes, it's selfish because I'm I have to start with me, but it's not selfish because it's ultimately serving the whole. When we serve ourselves, when we come into wholeness, when when we come into harmony, that directly affects the whole. So I think that's where a lot of like the confusion comes in because it, it's again seeing things as separate parts, like that these two entities are antithetical to each other. Like the the individual and the community can't exist in harmony. Like one has to sacrifice for the other. If we want the individuals to be strong, there's no community. If we want the community to be strong, there can't be any individual rights. And, And that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on a mathematical level. It doesn't make sense on an energetic level. And it doesn't make sense on the level of spirit. If this idea is everything is one, then What's truly good? What's truly again going back to that Shivibo idea? What's truly good is life giving. It's life giving for myself. It's life giving for life. It's life giving for the community. It's life giving. It's life giving for everything. Um, hmm. In in terms of the the ego death, it's a big subject, and and I think I think a lot of that is also ideas that we have about that my ego is bad and I have to kill it. Um, I think the easiest way without getting too much into it is the voice that's saying I have to get rid of my ego (laughs) is my ego. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So by, by getting rid of my ego, I'm just enhancing my ego. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, it's again, I don't think it's about getting rid of something. It's about coming into balance. Yeah. It's about being whole. Mm. It's about being in integrity and, and it, and that's kind of the paradox, and and none of it is ever going to quite make sense in terms of words or language, because words and language are also in the realm of duality. No words are ever going to point you. No words are going to give you God or the the, the oneness experience, uh, because they can't. Because they, we all exist in the world of form. It's why the greatest books, the greatest poetry. We, we have a deep felt sense of something, but it's not going to take us there. It's, it's it's like it's trying to point us there. And the really beautiful works can give us a glimpse of that, but it's not absolute. If it was, we would all have some book and we would read it and we'd all be God or enlightened, however we want to. We'd have no, no ego, no unhealthy ego. So... In this reality, like the, the the ego is necessary. Like we need to know that there's a me and there's a someone else. Uh, if I want to go to the city, there's a me and there's my motorcycle. I'm going to get on. If there's no motorcycle, <laughs> it wouldn't function. Right? right. If there's no gravity, it wouldn't function. If there's no accelerative force, it wouldn't. Nothing. Nothing works. Like we need all of that duality. Yeah. Um, but often in a, maybe another way of relating it often in like more shamanic terms you'll often hear the shipibo use this word it's a spanish word but they they say dominar which i guess literally would translate to dominate but probably a better word is to master so often our ego is dominating us it's it's ruling us it's 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 out of balance to the point where we're not able to see clearly that's what vipassana means, like mm. to see things as they actually are. It's one of the qualities of tobacco that people often relate: is it allows me to see things as they actually are. From a Christian perspective, it's it's the word word apocalypse, right? Yeah, yeah the, the I think it's something the that's veil. been really miss, yeah, yeah, really misunderstood that the apocalypse is the end of time. Well, it is, but in a good way, not in a bad way. Like we're all going to die. It's the end of time because it's the end of the illusion. It is our death, but it's the death of everything that's not serving us. It's lifting the veil so that we can see things as they actually are, rather than through all of the veils, through all of the mass, through all of the ego patterns and belief systems and things we've been raised through society. So, the apocalypse is beautiful. It's, it's what we're all looking for. That's why the apocalypse is always in the future. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It actually only exists now, but since we, we, we're we not able to see things as they actually are, we think that the apocalypse is coming in the future. There's something I have to do before I can actually see things as they actually are. From kind of the misaligned point of view, again, the apocalypse is going to come at some point, and then we're all going to die. Yeah. As in like the end of the world. No, it's the end of the illusion. Right. But... Uh, So that ego death, I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but there are people who would use that phrase when they go into a very profound, often plant medicine process, working with one of the very strong plants, maybe called master plants, ayahuasca, wachuma, peyote, tobacco, iboga. These, these plants can induce an experience that people feel like they have died. Mm-hmm. But they would say it's an ego death because their bodies, they emerge from that experience. Their body is still there. But often in that experience, everything they, they think they knew or everything that they think they are dissolves. And that's why it's often called like a heroic journey or the the hero's journey, is because it's literally you're going on the journey of your life. Mm -hmm. You're you're traveling to the foreign lands and encountering things that you never could have dreamed of, and being tossed into these tornadoes and tsunamis and having to overcome them, and eventually going into the cave and having to slay the dragon and. That's a that's a really beautiful archetype as well. Like the the word for dragon, it it comes from serpent. The dragon is the winged serpent, and it, it's a it's an archetype you see all over the world. And the serpent, et- etymologically, it means light, and it it means the light that's reflected back. Mm. And so, even that's like mm-hmm. the the story of, of you know, my name's Jason. That's oh. the story of Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, or you, like the story. You just froze for a second. Yeah, of, of I think you're coming back. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, the, the story but, of yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and like the story of Medusa going going into the cave, facing often it can be this feminine energy of these serpents, and the only way to overcome that was to hold a mirror to her own. F- to her own face. And the mm-hmm. light reflected back is what turned her into stone. Mm. And so it's that it's that same archetype that ultimately it's not slaying the serpent, it's not slaying the dragon, it's knowing thyself. It's ultimately going into the darkness, holding the mirror up to our own face, and seeing that who we thought we were were not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the ultimate enlightenment. That's the slaying of the dragon. Yeah. And In that ego death experience, now, those are just like archetypal examples. Everyone's experience is going to be completely different, completely unique, but maybe having some of these themes of extreme challenge, extreme journeying, and and reaching a point where one begins to dissolve. And often that can be a very scary process, but one is left with this sense of freedom, Mm -hmm. liberation. Yeah. Um, but almost always, it's temporary because it has to be in a way, because we come back to what we call this reality, and, and, and that duality begins to, to take form again. I, I look and I see, wow, like there's a body here. Yeah and then I I look around and, and and I see light and and then I remember you know maybe someone asked me like who are you and I, and I can't answer because there is no me still that that concept doesn't exist but then slowly I begin to say oh yeah I'm Jason and I'm a man and this is this is where I am and jason is hungry and jason uh jason loves you or jason thanks you and then it's well it's not jason the word is me or i oh yeah Well, it seems kind of strange to come back to that but then it's like the game again oh yeah i i am me so i i am thirsty i am hungry and and then we 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 come back to to this reality and everything that that entails But very often people are left, there's a resonance of that, almost like a a gnosis, a knowing of something that happened that they can't shake. Right. And it's not to say they're never going to be unhappy again or they're enlightened, but there's some resonant effect where they can draw on that and it gives them a different perspective. It, It shows them that there was something beyond what they thought was ultimate reality and that there was something beyond that that was incomprehensible uh beyond the mind beyond their imagination and that's why people often refer to it as they say something like i experienced god or i died and i was reborn um it was something so profound where it, it shattered the egoic illusion of what they thought nope, was hold real. Hold on a second.
0: You, you dropped off with, uh, something so profound.
1: You're back. Uh, yeah. Uh, this idea that it was something so profound that, that it shattered their, their sense of what was real. And, and they, they often experience something like I, I experienced God where I died and I was reborn. And, and that experience stays with them, and it, it, it's something that that they can't really shake off. Some people may feel called to go back to that in the future. Some people maybe not. Uh, that's that's what they need, and that that kind of brings them peace. There was a you, you're probably familiar with the study at Johns Hopkins. Are you still there, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. There's that study at Johns Hopkins where um, they worked with terminally ill patients on their deathbed. And I forget the percentage, but I think it was a majority of people, maybe six out of 10 or something. And and after that experience of working with psilocybin, and these were people who knew they were going to die. They had a lot of fear around that, not just fear for themselves, but uh, fear that they were going to lose their loved ones, their loved ones would suffer after they died. A, a, a large number of people after that experience kind of relayed something similar where they feel like they saw some people would say something like they saw the light or they died and they came back and that that fear, that tightness, that rigidity around what was laying ahead of them dissolved and they felt at peace. They felt they felt okay with what was going to to come.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I remember that study. I think it was like 86% or something. I think it was a pretty high percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. This gets me to like the apocalypse, the lifting of the veil, the ego death, truth, reality as it is, seeing it as it is. This is this is this is ultimate truth. Yes. Like this is what you know, you hear a lot of people say like, well, my truth or my experience or or my thing, but there is sort of, there's, there's a one common thread that really points to this felt direct experience that a lot of us have had. And the, the gnosis that comes along with that, The would you say
1: that this is like the one truth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big question. I, I think I think for most of humanity, people would have acknowledged that there was truth and truth kind of in this idea of a capital T. I think this idea that there's not truth is a, is a much more modern phenomena, almost this like postmodern thing of there is no truth. And, and I think in a way, I think ultimately there is truth <laughs> but i think it goes back to that idea that we were kind of saying of of these even like these plants this idea that they're they're neither good they can be used for both good and bad and and i think that's that to me seems like a good example are they good or are they bad i think in an ultimate sense in an ultimate truth if we're talking about that they're good why because they're life giving they can heal now that doesn't mean that they're absolutely good they also have bad to it and i think that's the that's the point where you can say like in an ultimate sense nothing is either good or bad nothing is like 100% true or 100% untrue the fact that the fact that there is a day means there's a night so again in this realm of duality there's always this true and untrue and nothing 100% embodies that. But I think as you were saying this idea of truth is something that's deeper and and I, I really like the way the the Shipibo put it which is it's it's that which is true is that which is life-giving. And it, it's this idea of of like union that which that which is moving us towards union towards harmony towards peace you know often these words are used along with that idea of like ultimate truth or god those in a a sense embody that inherent truth and the things that don't in an ultimate sense they're they're not true they still exist you know that, that that's the that's where like a lot of this is also a cosmo vision and it's a word that I think a lot of us don't really think much of it. Kind of like you were mentioning, we if most of us hear that word cosmovision, they would picture like primitive people in the jungle and, oh, well, they have a cosmovision, but I just see the world as it really is. You know, I'm science-based or I i know these things as fact, but everyone has a cosmovision and it, it can be really difficult, very difficult to see outside that cosmovision And so even like that tale of, of, you know, like I'll often use this example, like in English, we use these words, like we'll tell a kid, "Ah, you're just dreaming like, like, hey, I want to be an astronaut. No, no, you're just dreaming. That's never going to happen. Like we use that word as if it's not real. But again, that comes from our cosmovision, From a a different cosmovision, they would consider the dream space real. And again, maybe even more real. And even from a very logical point of view, whoever Jason is, me sitting here talking to, to Mike, there's some awareness. I can look and I can say, this is my body, this is my hand. But it's still me whatever that is saying this is mine there's some awareness that's able to look around and differentiate myself in that dream space it's exactly the same i may be able to see my body i may not be my body i may be a woman i may be a bird soaring over and and looking at the canopy i may be a child i may be an old person i may be floating through space But the me that's doing that is the same me that's here. Like nothing has changed. And just because maybe someone else isn't seeing the same thing in that moment, you know, in this reality, like I'm looking at this computer and you're looking at the computer and we can say, okay, well, that's a computer because we both see it. But when I'm dreaming, I'm seeing something and maybe no one else is. But even that's a cosmovision, Because we often think our dreams are isolated. And again, from a shamanic point of view, and people have experienced this in in ayahuasca ceremonies or other plant medicine ceremonies, that they also have a connection in that space to other people. Other people may relay the same experience. A big part of shamanic work is working in that space and that I mean, this may sound crazy to people, but then it actually affects what we would call reality, much like that that Borer-Witoto creation myth, that, that by affecting it in that level, that in this reality, it's also affected. That that level, if anything, even precedes this reality. So, I think, you know, going back to that idea of truth, in a way, you can never really answer that. Like yes, if if we say this is true, can the opposite also be true? Almost likely, yes, because there's always this duality. But I think when people are talking about something like truth or God, they're they're talking about something primordial, something that unifies, something that's beyond duality, which we can say that that is truth, and that there's nothing outside of that. There's no opposite of that. There's no. There's no, it's not true, because it's so true that it encompasses everything, and it's life-giving, which again may sound like a silly thing. Oh, I love it's that. It's no coincidence yeah. that that, that in, in all religions, in all spiritual traditions, there's a creation myth. <laughs> yeah. You know, the origin is creation. It's life-giving. It's birthing, you know, that the, the essence of life is to create uh, and we all have that creative power within us. Well, most of us, um, and and so yeah, I, you know, that idea of truth, I think, is something real, um, and and that's where I think this idea of gnosis is important. You know, I mean, even even the societies that like you and I are coming from. Like often they're traced back to Greek civilization, these ideas of democracy and republics and uh, morality and um, all down to like exercise, holistic points of view, uh, liberal arts, education, governance. But those guys had an idea of gnosis. They had an idea of truth and they were also, Almost assuredly going in for very specific times, sacrificing, going into isolation, working in ceremony, and having these revelatory experiences, which they said pointed them to truth. And even like the founding fathers of, of, of our country, they would say things like, nature is truth. You find truth by observing nature. Like. By observing nature, you're able to see that which is real. And because also nature is creative, it's constantly regenerating. It's It's that creative force and you can see it in everything. Like if you go in a forest, you can, especially in the Amazon, I mean, you can almost literally see plants growing. They're growing so fast. It's that creative energy that's 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 fulfilling itself like incessantly constantly over and over and we don't, it's very rare that we would really experience that like in its full force because it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, even you look at the stars and it's, it's, it's almost mind boggling, but even, even if you're sitting in a forest, I mean, if you really think about the energy that that creative force that's flowing through everything, if you really go deeply into that, it's, it's almost too much, but that plant medicine experience can induce that. And when one really begins to see that that's part of where that ego death experience comes it's also where that kind of humility become begins to come in is this creative force can be tapped into and it's so overwhelming so awe-inspiring so beyond our wildest imagination that we just have to sit there in awe and I think that's what people are referring to as truth because what there's no, there's nothing that's even minuscule I don't know if that's a word comparative to that. It's so all-encompassing, so overwhelming that everything fades into that. Everything dissolves into that. Mm. And all we can say about it is some word like, well, that's God. right? <laughs> that's truth. right? That's the light. Because what else can we do? That's...
0: Yeah, yeah, and there's also the destruction in the in nature, which mm-hmm. is part of it. Just like you're saying with like it's not all good. There's also that other aspect there as well, mm-hmm. which is the the paradoxical nature because I think that in that fully encompassed together with what we would call good and bad together is sort of a version like maybe that is true. Like that's true. That's ultimate that creative, mm-hmm. destructive, chaotic, organized you know beautiful harmony of of nature which we are that's the magnitude that you're talking I've experienced is so profound it's like disgusting and and gross and vile and grotesque and destructive and then also beautiful mm. and magnificent and radiant and joyful and exuberant all together in one mm. and that does seem like a difficult concept for most people to uh, except because I think, like you were saying before, I can't do it with words. I think that's something that needs to be felt and experienced, right?
1: Yeah. The, the Tao Te Ching tries to do it. They say, like the, 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 the Tao, which can be spoken of is not the true Tao. Right. Right. And this idea that, that from the Tao emerge the one which is even pointing to this idea that even when we say something is one, we're already, it's not true anymore. You know, it's already, it, it's, it's one layer removed. But so then, then from the one came the two, came the duality. Then they would say from the two came the three, which is the trinity. And then from the three, they would say came the 10,000 things, which is an ancient, um, an ancient, word for like everything. Um, on a side note, a, a really fascinating guy, his name is Daniel Tammet. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wrote a book called born in a blue day. He has, uh, I think a- Asperger syndrome, but he's a really fascinating guy. Um, and he has uh, this thing called synesthesia. So yeah, he, things have a very like felt sense, like an emotional quality, a certain landscape, a certain color, a texture. And he became famous because he could do all of these like crazy mathematical computations. But he's also really fascinating because he kind of trained himself to be what we would call socially normal. A lot of people who have these conditions I don't know if it's correct to say that they're socially not normal or were <laughs> socially not normal but there's a difficulty in being able to communicate in a way that we both can connect on but he kind of trained himself to be able to 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 speak and be around what we would maybe consider like normal social behavior and So, he's able to explain himself. And one thing I found really fascinating with him is through doing these incredibly complex mathematical computations, for him, every number has a certain shape, a color, a texture, an emotional field, a landscape. And so, when he's doing these computations, he just sees like this emotional color textured landscape. And that's how he just like reels off these numbers. And they just kind of come together but it was fascinating because for him, every number is unique. Unique, like color, shape, feel, everything from one until 10,000. And then after that, the cycle repeats itself for him, which I, I found fascinating. Wow. Um, Interesting. But yeah, you know, that kind of that, as you were saying, it's it's hard to put in words. People try to, you know, I think like the Tao that that example works that idea of the trinity you see that in christianity you see it in hinduism the the brahman is is the the creative the the god i guess you could call that which encompasses everything so not just the creative but that which encompasses everything and then the creative force is uh brahma this the life sustaining force is vishnu and the destructive force is shiva so, I think they're also putting it in a beautiful archetypal way of yes, like those are the, in the terms of the Trinity, that's how you can break down the, the oneness into three different forces. You have the creative force, you have the force that sustains, and you have the destructive force. And the, all three of those are essential for duality, which are essential for the one. So, creation can't exist without destruction. So I think sometimes when we're talking about the creative force that 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 entails that destructive force because from a dual dualistic point of view you can't have creation without destruction those two they're they're synonymous with each other in order to create something also has to die that's the the transference of energy that kind of physics principle that we all learn in school that energy can't be created or destroyed it's only transformed so the the creative destructive aspect of that is that transformation of energy so yeah i mean the the destructive force is is crucial that's even in the in the dualistic point of view that's the masculine and the feminine the feminine is the creative life force that which gives birth the masculine is that which takes life that's that which destroys and but the creative force can't exist without the destructive force the destructive force can't exist without the creative force yeah there's something and destroying it destroying is very powerful like it's something we we also forget about right right uh uh, even in plant medicine work we often talk about like removing these layers like rather than like gaining something we're we're removing something that's the destructive force like we're 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 letting these things go we're removing ourselves of them The, the the lifting of the veil you know, there's a destructive force quality of that. We're taking the veil off. We're, we're letting it go. And through the destructive, the creative force is born. Now I can truly see. Now I see life in its creation. And so, yeah, all of these things have a, a symbiotic relationship.
0: Yeah and I and I'm noticing also the parallel between you know the what you were just describing before as the dreaming state in the in the shamanic shapibu way and also ne- um with uh, Vishnu and 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 Brahma isn't it like he dreams the dream into existence in the universe and mm-hmm. right it's so there there's there's all that too and then I was thinking of also I forget what it was it was like Arjuna and Krishna arguing about time and love and how love is beyond time's reach so but the apocalypse mm. is the lifting of the veil the end of time maybe it's and it's it's a step into the the timelessness of of love which mm. i would bucket love freedom love and freedom i think are you know very similar right i, I think like in a, in a way that's this like over expanding liberated feeling um, I mean we can go, you know, we can obviously draw distinctions, but there's something true and good and life giving, and that's what I love. I love that you brought that onto the show today because that just really resonates with me. If it's true and good and life-giving, that's that's where we want to be heading to. And um Yeah,
1: and that's that's like a you know, on a on an emotional level, like if you look if you look because we were talking about fear. The the opposite of that um, is usually considered excitement. It's the same emotion. It's just fear is usually looking at the future and labeling it as bad. Like I often use the example of, of like two people going up a roller coaster and it's like, they're starting to get closer to the top. They're about to go over. The guy in the left, he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about when they go over that that final, you know, peak, and it's about to go crazy. You know, down this huge thing. He's thinking, "Oh my god! Like, no, please stop! It's going to be horrible. I'm going to vomit. I'm going to die." It's fear because he's thinking about the future and he's labeling it as bad, as as an aversion. Uh, That's the, the yeah. Buddhist idea. There's an aversion to it. Right. The guy in the right, the same thing is happening. They're going up. They get to that that peak, and he's thinking, "This is going to be amazing. I've never been on a roller coaster this fast. It's going to be the best thing ever. I can tell all my friends and da da da. Wow, that the force going down. It's going to be it's going to be amazing." So he's feeling the same emotions like if you look at them physiologically probably their hearts are racing they're they're getting sweaty they're like pr- their body is preparing for it the adrenalines going but the guy in the right he's looking at the future and labeling it as good in, in Buddhist terms he's craving it <laughs> so there is excitement and so it's the same thing but one is fear and one is excitement but as you said I think the in, in, in a more spiritual point of view, the opposite of fear is love. And uh, because fear, again, is operating from that place of it's not life-giving, it's separating, it's dividing us. Again, you think about the pandemic. The antidote to that fear is love. Yeah. Can my actions reach out in love? Can I bring people together if I'm a mother and my kid is sick, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, if I got sick, my mother gave me chicken soup. She put like a, a cold towel on my forehead. She, she took care of me. That's coming from a place of love. Rather than looking at my kid as sick and being like, oh, my God, he's, he, he has the virus. He's, he's going to get me sick. He's going to kill everyone. No. like, you know, And that love transforms. It transmutes. It's what heals the world and And the fear is ultimately what what takes us out of that state mm. you know that natural state and and that's why I think, as you said, like love is also related to this idea of freedom of truth, like with a capital t you know it's that which is life giving it's that which is true, it's that which nurtures us, it's that which feeds us, it's that which gives us energy, it's that which inspires you know I- inspire. It means to be filled with spirit, to be filled with life. You know, when we when we're deceased, when when we we expire, <laughs> yeah. the, we the, the spirit is 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 it, it leaves our body. So yeah, that that principle of love is huge. And, and again, that's one of those tricky things where like a lot of a lot of people in in these lines of work. They love to speak about love. (laughs) Right. Right. But how aligned are their actions to actually loving? I mean, you know, I I got COVID pretty early on in the pandemic. And, uh, same. And I was, I was pretty shocked at the response of, of people who were considered plant doctors. Like they didn't want to be near me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an angel or a saint, but if I call myself a doctor, then my responsibility is to go into sickness to help people. You know, someone comes to me and they say, I'm sick. I don't go, Oh no, like stay back, stay away from me. It's no, how can I help you? Yeah, That's what a doctor does. And even more than a doctor, that's what, that's what a, that's what a human being does. That's what someone who's filled with spirit does is they reach out in love to those around us. It's a beautiful native American prayer. And it, it, One of the, one of the lines in that is, is, is reach out. Uh, It says, be strengthened by the love within, reach out in love to those around us for each day is a gift given, but once. And so, you know, who do we want to be? Because this may be our last day. Do we want to live in that state of fear and isolate from others, label others, be afraid of others? Or do we want to reach out and love to those around us? Because this may be our last day. Right. So how do, how do we want to live our life from a place of love or from a place of fear? Mm,
0: yeah. Do we truly want to put it all out there and go give everything that we have and show everything that we are and live you know, to the to the fullest, whatever that means to each person? Or do we just want to survive and get by and make it until the end, which doesn't make sense to me? Because as you said, the end could be any time, any time.
1: And we could go into a whole. That's that's one of the, that's one of the things you know, uh, I think that I really saw with the pandemic too is, you know, and it's not to say that we shouldn't do anything or we shouldn't take precautions. I mean, for sure. Like that, that's why, that's why we have a house, you know, that's why we build walls around (laughs) us so that we're somehow protected from the elements. You know, it's not just like, well, I'm just, whatever happens, you know, whatever, I'm not going to do anything. No, like, when you operate from a place of love you can still do things you can build a house you can protect your family um but to what degree like even this idea of isolating ourselves like wearing masks uh being afraid of people like is that life-giving you know maybe you can argue you know i don't know again this is individual maybe you can argue and somehow it is but you know to me it very much seems like coming from this place of fear it's ultimately not life giving like if we're if we're so afraid of death that we're literally stopping life we're stopping life in order to avoid death and that that's only going to lead to more death yeah can you say more fear, can you more say that again <laughs> say, <laughs> say that again this this idea that Try, You know, by trying to avoid death, we're stopping life. Yeah. Because we're so afraid of what death may be that we want to retreat from life. We, we want to put up all of these artificial walls, these artificial boundaries, these, these rules and regulations that keep us seemingly safe. But it's also keeping us from life. Because we are human beings, you know, we're, we are individuals, but we don't exist in a void. Like we need touch. We need humanity. We need to see people smile. We need to hug people. uh, We need to embrace people. We need to give each other a pat on the back. We need to talk to people. uh, We need to have that interaction. Like we're not, we're not hermits. (laughs) Yeah. And, and. If we don't if we don't embody what it means to be a human, then you could make the, the case that we're already dead. So like what what are we what are we what are we avoiding? And uh, you know, to I think as anyone who's had any sort of addiction or, or problem or suffering, like often a huge part of that is it's an avoidance of life it's an avoidance of like truly going in and feeling all that life has to give and it so we do things we isolate ourselves we take drugs we we do we watch netflix all day we watch porn we eat tons of food but in that there's there's like a fundamental thing where we're avoiding life where we're we're cutting ourselves off from that life-giving energy and ultimately that only leads to 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 our demise and if it's leading to our demise it's leading to the demise as a whole too because right. we're, we're an integral part of this world wow
0: well said jason
1: very well said
0: so you're in the middle of a dieta
1: i am i am yeah more towards the beginning, but yeah, in the midst of one. <laughs>
0: okay, yourself or facilitating?
1: Facilitating one, yeah. I've I, I do a lot of work with a, a friend and colleague of mine. Her name is Marav. So, yeah, we're here in the valley running a diet. It's uh, about about one month, and um, yeah, it's that's that's a lot of the work I do now. So, when we met, we I was facilitating uh, ayahuasca ceremonies at the Temple of the Way of Light um I'm, I'm still there but on a more more part-time basis and a lot was because of the pandemic too it, it really shifted things and and also i think just a point in my life like wanting to be a bit more rooted and kind of uh focusing on some different things but uh yeah a big part of part of my work now is is, is giving dietas like working working with different plants especially with tobacco and uh kind of sharing and in what in a way i was kind of gifted like an experience of being able to share that so mm, yeah cool
0: um i noticed that you have one coming up um in a couple months right like do you have what is it sorry yeah. it's a, in, uh, yeah tobacco diet <clears throat> de- in, May, in ireland. ireland
1: yeah 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 great yeah yeah that should be great uh and that, i think unfortunately it's sold, if, sold any, out, right? if, if anyone is if anyone's listening yeah we we sold out crazy fast we sold out in like i don't know three or four days so uh, i feel super fortunate for that um but yeah if anyone is interested um i think after ireland we're doing a bit of a, a world tour um we'll see how it goes um i'm <laughs> i'm already feeling I, I kind of like being in one spot more but also with the way the world is going, uh, it's getting difficult for people to kind of travel and move. So yeah, we're, we're in Ireland in May and then uh, Marav, who I work with, she's from Israel. So we're going to be in Israel the next month in June and then we go back to New York in July. Um, and I, I believe there are still availability for the, the Israel and, and New York retreats
0: great awesome yeah and uh who would you say should uh, should attend if if anyone out there is listening is curious what uh what kind of person are you uh most excited about having be a part of this journey that you're offering
1: the people we usually work with are people who have experienced plant medicine in some regards maybe they've they've worked with ayahuasca or they've done an ayahuasca workshop or they've worked with psilocybin and um or even people who just feel some sort of connection to plants um often there's some kind of inner knowing that they'd like to go deeper into that work and so the the ability to to do a dieta i think really gives someone that ability to to experience these plants in a different way and to experience oneself in a different way A lot of the work we do works in that dream space and that kind of shamanic level of cleaning and clearing and realigning and and looking at things in a new way. I think tobacco is really, really good medicine in that way. And I, you know, it's interesting because in the beginning we were talking about how we were both kind of surprised that so many people in this plant medicine community seem to be following these kind of paradoxical viewpoints of being for cognitive liberty or freedom of choice to work with plants but in another regard not for that at all um, and something i actually came to see and I, i've also had to question myself like is this just my own bias or but i think it's something more than that which is um you mentioned Amica. Who I think is an amazing human being, an amazing teacher. Yeah, I've sat with him a number of times now, and and uh, he has this beautiful story about how there was this this like deep suffering of humanity, and and from that suffering, like that suffering, that call for help was heard. Uh, from these beings in the star system Sirius, which is very fascinating, because all over the world, a lot of people say like this kind of more advanced intelligence or spirits came from Sirius. So mm-hmm. t- take from that what what you will. But um, that they heard the calling and they they ended up uh, transcending the twelve dimensions of time and space, and they showed up on the Earth in this primordial anaconda canoe. And they brought with them all of these different medicines to help humanity, to help humanity remember who they were, where they came from. And there was kind of an order in this canoe. And and the the first plant was actually tobacco. And tobacco, you can consume different ways. You can drink it. You can take it as a paste. You can, as you were saying, the the rape and and Mika's tradition, the tubu, they call it murundi. Um, There's different ways you can apply it. So that was the first plant along with coca and 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 these plants were at the base and and they were the plants that that also pointed towards truth and and again allowing you to see things how they actually are bringing bringing integrity to the word and bringing sweetness the coca brings sweetness to the word the, the tobacco brings integrity to the word. And then the the other plants uh, kind of moving down the canoe, uh, hopefully I'll get this right, but then I think there was these plants and they they were very much like plants of the earth, plants of the heart, which are uh, peyote and huachuma or San Pedro. So they begin to open us to this world, like to really see this world. Um, And then uh, there's a plant that they call bordachera or towe, which – kind of teaches one to be a doctor, but it's also a, it's a very powerful plant, but one you have to work with a lot of caution because it's very, very strong. And if it's not worked with correctly, you can end up in a bad way. And then the final plants, uh, he would call the, the Queens of knowledge. And, uh, he calls it Jemaru, which is actually marijuana. Um, um, Yopo, which is, kind of similar to ayahuasca it's, it's also DMT but it's uh, it's inhaled and ayahuasca and I think they would also put iboga in that category and those are the plants of knowledge like they allow us to transcend the 12 dimensions they they, they bring this like very high knowledge but something I began to see and, and again I don't know that this is inherently true but it, it's something I began to sit with a lot and, and it, it seemed to resonate that I think a lot of the people who maybe haven't been able to stand strong to those principles, in a way they become a bit lost in the mediación of the, the plants of knowledge. Like the knowledge is there, they've experienced it, but it hasn't become embodied, it hasn't become of this earth. And, and so, like in shamanic terms, they would say one is lost in the mediación, one is lost in the dizziness. But they haven't been able to take that knowledge from above and bring it to to below that that's kind of the the esoteric principle of as above so below that's kind of what we're talking about like you understand it at this level this more mental level but it's not embodied it hasn't we haven't taken it from there and embodied it into this earth. And I think tobacco is a really powerful plant and probably why it was the first one in the canoe, because if you have that, then you're better able to integrate this knowledge and really bring it into this existence. It's similar to what or peyote, it's like, it's becoming more embodied in this world. Um, and I think, you know, ayahuasca is amazing. Uh, you know, I would, I would recommend it to anyone who feels that call. Um, but also to realize that, that, all plants have their medicine and all plants have their archetypes and all plants have their place. And sometimes we need one plant more than another, much like medicine, like we were talking about, there's not necessarily a one medicine that's good for us all the time in every single circumstance. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it was something I was thinking about of a a lot of the, the people that, that I kind of saw that maybe had those conflicting principles they tended to be working with these plants that were more in that that the queens of knowledge realm, but that maybe what they were lacking was these plants in the the first part of the canoe that allowed them to really see things as they actually are and stand in that principle, stand in the word, uh, have integrity in the word, have sweetness to the word. Um, so yeah yeah, wow, yeah. yeah,
0: love that story, beautifully said, and uh, what it represents, yeah, I'm just thinking what comes to mind is if you're in a canoe and you only have one section mm-hmm. filled out, like you're going to be top you yeah. know heavy, you're going to be balanced you're going to be unbalanced, the top of the canoe is going to go up, you're going to sink in the water, so it's very important, yeah. really well said. Thank you for bringing that uh, Amika- <laughs> um, story into, into this and what it represents. And I think that that is, yeah, that's powerful. So, um,
1: Yeah. I I never thought about that. That's a great analogy. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, of
0: course. Yeah. So, I mean, you're doing good work, my friend. Um, I think, you know, that, that the, 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 the recognition that, that there's more to this plant path that it's not just about the knowing, but it's about the gnosis and the embodiment, and really going on that deep journey into that dream space. How do you want to create? Where do you create from? What you create from is what you create. Um, and you're, yeah, you're a guy I consider with deep integrity and principle, and it and it shows. You know, I think that it's not something that you have to say it's uh, by in your presence, uh, being in ceremony with you a couple times and just the way you carry yourself and facilitate. It's, uh, it, it it's just a known felt thing that you get from somebody who is embodied. So yeah, good stuff, man. You're, you're doing oh, thank it. Thank you, brother.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> what just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end here. I mean, what is the most fulfilling and nourishing satisfying aspect of doing this this work for you?
1: It's interesting because uh, <laughs> i I think a lot of people approach this work from this altruistic point of view like uh, you know I want to help people and I want to save the world and for me it didn't start that way at all it it started kind of I guess we could call it a more selfish place but as we were talking about uh, like I had questions that I wanted to answer myself. I had issues that I wanted to deal with. And so it really, it was really, for me, it was a path of self-discovery, of self-knowledge, of curiosity. And uh, I often use like this example of, of martial arts, because, I, I, I love jujitsu and it's, it's taught me so much, but I kind of see it as a similar thing. Like when I started jujitsu and, and any any good jujitsu teacher who I've, I've ever worked with, none of them started like, I want to be a jujitsu teacher. <laughs> uh, it always started like, I want to get really good at jujitsu. And then as you start to get good, it just happens where someone sees that and they're like, Hey man, like I'm struggling with this move. Could you, I see you do it really well. Could you help me with that? And it's like, yeah, sure. Like, this is how I do it. This is what I know. Hopefully it works. Um, and if it doesn't, we can work on it. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing about teaching too, is you get to see things from another angle. There's more clarity. I realize, oh, he's doing what I taught him, but it's not working. So maybe I'm not doing something right. So I have to then refix my game and hone and, and in that way, things just really came organically. So, um, I think often when people ask that question, they're expecting me to say like, Oh, you know, I love seeing these people like grow and, and I do it, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but I think for me, there's, there's even something deeper than that, which is, there's something that drew me to this work that I'm still on my own journey. And, uh, and if I'm able to help people, you know, I, I, I do what I can, and, uh, but it's, for me, it's always fascinating working with people and, and seeing the, 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 the transformation they go through. And I, I think that's something you probably saw at the temple too, is you do a workshop and people come in in a certain way and they leave and, and they're very different. And mm-hmm. it's, it's also something that, it, like anything, the more we do something, we become a bit desensitized to it. but. You know, sometimes when I really just sit back and I'm looking at a group of people or an individual, and there's 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 just this sense of like awe. Um, I think a deep gratitude for these traditions and and where they came from and the knowledge that's been kept and passed down and it's still given, which is not the most obvious thing like there's a lot of reasons why it may not be given for all sorts of past reasons Mm -hmm. um but in a way just a real gift and and i think for me something that i find very fascinating and that always interests me is is this idea of who we are and where we come from and and i think these plants have an amazing ability to help us on that path and 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 it's also why I'm so fascinated, and I think you know, probably you are too. I think we talked about this, you know, people like Graham Hancock and Ramal Carlson, and, yeah. And and ever since I was a kid, just I was pretty fortunate to be able to travel and going to these different countries, like like going to Peru, and you see these massive boulders and just fitting together perfectly. But then above those are some that aren't quite as nice, and then above those are like some that don't really fit together at all, and they're much smaller. And so ever since uh, I was a kid, I, I remembered like it seems like there's a story that we haven't been told, and it seems like there was this knowledge that was present and embodied, um, and that we we lost it somehow. Whether it was a cataclysmic event, but and yet these traces remained and they remained in these traditions that work with these plants you see it in the vedas like you read the vedas which is the oldest knowledge we have and and in the vedas they say well (laughs) all of this knowledge was given to us by the ancient ones Mm. it's like what (laughs) so (laughs) there's people even before you who even knew more who passed this on yeah and so that there's for me, there's something very magical about this, and it's certainly not that I'm walking around all day in awe. I mean, you know, most most of my life is very rational and just doing things, but but there are certainly times where I tap into that awe, and it's uh, it's it's incredible. And I think that to answer your question is probably like what inspires me is when I when I kind of begin to connect the dots and 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 begin to see or understand something and then it's all shattered and then i you know <laughs> trying to trying to understand it again on a deeper level and it's it, it's it's uh, like some people also in like shamanic terms they would say that that's the that's the great game of life is yeah. uh, is, is somehow thinking we know and then realizing we know nothing and then seeing something that's just you know, so beautiful and so profound and and just constantly in that game and that dance. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I'm not going to get a typical answer from you. Come on. I knew that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's pu- that's perfect. That's a beautiful answer. It's a true answer. It's a real one. And it's, a it's great. You're, you're truly unique and a special, special person um, because of you and just living this journey and living this path. And if people want help, they come and you're welcome to give them that. And we're all in it together in in a sense and uh I love that yeah like Ramdas walking each other home so cool thanks for thanks yep. for taking on that role and and being that you know that person and carrying on these traditions and this wisdom it's uh it's essential especially in our time now we don't let this stuff die that we that we keep it keep it going um yeah go listen to the universe within podcast because Jason's doing something that nobody else is doing as far as I'm concerned uh which is bringing on uh, these 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 teachers, these maestros these these uh, these healers, to speak directly, and I believe that your last episode was with one of your um, main teachers, Ernesto, before Damian mm-hmm. you had on, who I know quite well, so yeah, um, a really amazing job that you 're doing here with the podcast and bringing these these healers uh on to speak in their own words and and speaking with them. It's a truly unique thing. I don't I don't I don't see anybody else doing that. So uh well done. Go check out the Universe Within podcast and uh nicotinorustica.org as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that, that's a link to my website. It it it's got the work we're doing and any any upcoming retreats we're we're doing. You can find it all there cool awesome and and likewise brother you know we we were talking about amika and it's uh it's something that really has really stuck with me and and it's one of the other legends or tales that he speaks of and kind of similar that's why i really like amika because he's also there's there's not a lot of like fluffy stuff and that there was this this tale of uh that, that, that his people, the Tubu, that their grandfathers, they, they use the word abuelo, which translates to, to grandfathers, but it's grandparents. So the, the men and women, but, but that their ancestors had this tale that, that their time was coming to an end, that, that that way of being was coming to an end and that, this time we're coming into was going to be the the age of as he calls it the diro amasa which is the children of the new dawn and they're the people who are able to bridge the medicines of the four directions which i think is super important is to realize that all the directions have medicine the north the west the east the south they all have their medicine they're all wisdom keepers they all have uh, a unique way of, of working with medicine and and bridging the medicine of the four directions to to create a new maloka and in the amazon a maloka it's it's the communal house but it also represents the world and it represents the universe so these diro amasa they're bridging the medicines of the four direction to create a new earth and uh and uh something about that story really inspires me and 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 i consider you one of the diro amasa it's the you know the people because, you know, what you're doing is also medicine. And, and you know, we all have these very compartmentalized view of what medicine is. But medicine is that which heals, which means to bring into wholeness. And uh, the power of the word is extremely important for Amika, That's that's a, that's a huge part of their tradition is the power of word, you know, sharing, uh, bridging ideas, talking about these things, uh, investigating, you know, uh, separating the chafe, finding what's truth, uh, and and spreading that, and. Um, You know, that was also part of the idea of the podcast I did. And I think you're doing that wonderfully, you know, bringing on all sorts of different people talking about these ideas that are super important, like liberty, freedom. You know, it's uh, they're no small topics, and and they are life and death. And and sometimes I, I think we've been living in a time that that's been kind of complacent. It's been quite easy in a way, but these things are always there, and they always resurface. And and it takes people who are strong, who stand in principle, who are willing to speak up, uh, and and that's who changes the world. And it, it's no small set thing. So. Uh, it's a pleasure, brother. Thank you very much. I, I think this is the, the third time I've been on now. So yeah. it's the, yeah. the the podcast I've been on the most times. So. Thank you for having me on and yeah, man, I, I always, I always really appreciate talking to you and catching up, uh, you know, as we said, I, I think of you as a brother and in this reality and also in, in all realities and in, in this quest that we're all on. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, uh, I saw you had Charles Eisenstein on the other day. That guy's, he's amazing. He's another yeah. one of these guys who I think is really, you know a bridge keeper someone who's trying to to speak truth and the, the more these voices get out there the better and and you know even though there is a lot of darkness in the world i see a lot of signs for hope and and sure uh you know you giving voice to yourself to these people that's what it's about because we do all have fear and it, And the more opportunity we have to hear other points of view, the more opportunity we have to stand with other people who are taking a stand, it makes that journey uh, not easy, but definitely easier. And the more people that do it, the more people we can bring in uh, to, to, to truly create a new earth. So keep it up, my friend.
0: Yeah, you as well. Likewise, I feel the same. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, we're just building a new Maloka together. So you know, let's make it, let's make it fun, let's make it enjoyable, and let's just keep keep focused on the project and the task at hand. And I think it's going to be coming along pretty nicely. And if not. Yeah. Well,
1: see you in the next incarnation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds good, brother. Whenever, you're, whenever you, uh, you, you, you publish this, let me know and I'll, I'll do my best to share it. And, and, and yeah, we just keep going. Just keep going. And in Spanish, Spanish they, they say poco a poco paso a paso or poco poco paso a paso. Little by little, step by step or little by little, glass by glass. We, we, we keep going forward.
0: Yeah, that's all there is to do. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> keep keep putting the keep, keep putting the good life-giving energy
1: out there, my friend. Yeah. Well, likewise, brother. It's It's been a pleasure and uh, great catching up with you, man. Good to see you. Looks like your studio is coming along too. You got yeah. some insulation in there. You got a nice bookshelf going. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to
0: have a little chat off air and to all of you listening, thank you. And until next time, much love. Peace. Hey, hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you did, click five stars on Apple Podcasts, click five stars on Spotify, help the show grow, help more people get to conversations like this. And uh, really appreciate all of you guys. If you want to become a Patreon member, please go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C. You'll get early access to episodes like this one. that will be ad-free, intro-free, music free. It's all, It's just the raw conversation, the podcast uh, audio version and video version on Patreon. And I release them right after I record them. And we have uh, a lot of cool stuff going on. We also have the Inner Sanctum Discord server. So go check that out and check out WaveBlock. Get 20, 20% off with the code Mikeadelic at WaveBlock. Block those harmful radiation emissions coming out of our technology. All right. Thank you all. Much love till next time. Peace.